Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hello and welcome to Book Talk. Welcome to Book Talk. If you are new with this book, we're so happy to have you. We are. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book, and this time it's of Women in Salt, and then we chat about it with you on Sunday nights. And usually we read one book a month. This book, we're going a little fast, three weeks just for this book. Um, it's a little shorter, but wow, it's a little more dense than I was expecting. I think so too. But I do, yeah, we're not reading any more pages per month or per week, but just that it's a short and sweet book. Also, with like the most gorgeous cover. Like, I just want this book displayed at all times. It's so pretty. It's got good hand feel, too. It feels good to hold. I know. It's kind of <laughs> tiny. And also, it like, even the font and the pages, I'm very into the aesthetics this book is bringing to the table. <laughs> Katie, what, um, what happened in these first three chapters? I can already tell this book is going to be a lot of intertwining and entangled stories from different time periods. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss. We start with the quickest chapter so far, only a page um, in the depths of struggling with addiction. And then we go straight back to the cigar factory and the love story and life built of Maria and Antonio and then flip back to present day Miami where we are engrossed in the two tales of mothers and daughters. The first being Jeanette, who we know is the one the first section was about um, dealing with addiction and her mom, Carmen. And then we also meet Anna, the little girl that stays with Jeanette for a night and learn about her mom, Gloria. And it ends um, with a very poetic section of Gloria in the detention center. Oh, poetically horrifying. It was, but the writing in that was like, was really good. It was so good. And like the birds. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Like all that. I agree. Yes. Um, Gabriela Garcia is a poet, which I think is so interesting. And I read that when I was reading about the background of this for the newsletter. And I was, so in reading this section, I think you can definitely tell she has that kind of writing. Um, I was saying earlier, I read this entire section in one sitting, but I wish I would have spread it out more because I think there was kind of a lot to unpack here. And also the writing is so beautiful. And I was just trying to like kind of get through the plot points. So mental note for next week, take your time. <laughs> it reminds me of How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones, right? Is that his last name? Mm -hmm. The ferocity on Twitter um, of the like where we're we're moving the story forward and then also like having these moments of refrains of poetic like insertions to chew on. Basically. Yeah, I loved the way he wrote too. That's a really good comparison. But there's a lot of plot here, though. <laughs> like, I feel like in How We Fight for Our Lives, there is plot, but it's a lot more like internal dialogue. And this is like a lot is happening. So much is happening. Yeah. Um. So before we get into the plot and some of the themes of this section, what do you think about her writing style so far? Yeah, like I said, I think it is very poetic and I like it a lot. I think in the first, I kind of want to see more of how she'll differentiate when she's writing between the times in Cuba and the times in Miami, because I think in the the first chapter was like a little bit hard to get into. Like it felt a little bit more stilted while reading it for me. Um, and sometimes it happens with like historical books. So I don't know if it's just the, but I liked it in comparison to then getting to be in present day Miami, where I feel like it's a lot easier to fall into that story because it's more, um, because it's closer in recent history, obviously. What did you think of it? 
I mean, I just think it's like so beautifully written. One thing that's like a tactical choice is we have on like the front before the book starts the family tree with all of the women. So it's like the matriarchal tree, I suppose. And that is super helpful because there's so many women, there's multiple names, and it's also sort of like setting us up for the plot. So like there's an there's an ex. Oh. Which is like who's the ex? Like what does that mean? And also now we can see the relationship between Jeanette and Maydellis, who is in my uh, in Cuba and emailing with Jeanette. And so that also is sort of like the link. And then I was expecting like, OK, so what is the Gloria Anna connection? Because they're separate. They're not part of the family tree. And then we meet Anna, the daughter, which I didn't connect it. But then we met Gloria and I was like, OK, OK, I see where this is like all going. And I actually really like that. Like I. Uh, it sort of like reminds me of fantasy books where it's like okay we're not in the normal world so here's a map so you can just like flip back and forth and like get a grounding of like what we're doing yeah I didn't even that's such a good point like I also just like looked back and I was like well I knew that the other character was her cousin but it's in the family tree there's literally a map who knew Also, it's clearly this is a book about women and relationships between mothers and daughters. And that's also setting the stage that like, if you didn't get it from the title, this is this is lady forward book. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I do love an intergenerational drama. So I'm ready for it. Also, this is the third book in a row that I've read. Yeah, what is happening? That literally goes between like a faraway historical time, like the 1700s and like present day. The third book in a row. So funny. In terms of the writing style, I think it's just so rich and beautiful. I'm obsessed so far. Like just the the mental picture of like being in the cigar rolling factory with like the smell of everybody smoking cigars and then um, Antonio reading from these like classic works of fiction was just so beautiful to imagine. Is that his job to just read them stories uh-huh. while they work? Yeah. I love, I love that. that. Why don't we do more of that? I want someone to read me stories while I work. I know. Um, and I just wanted to read this sentence. This is like, I can't get over this sentence. Um, so <laughs> this is Maria Isabel talking about how she actually likes working. And she says, um, where does it start? She was happiest in the workshop in the field, sweating over fire, peeling yuccas and plantains and tossing them into a cast iron cazuela of boiling water with her sleeves bunched to her elbows, catching pig's blood in a steel bucket to make shiny black sausage, hacking open a water pregnant coconut with a machete. Like, oh my God. (laughs) It doesn't get better than that. I love that. Okay, I thought a really powerful quote was um, when she's talking about how when you look at her mom, she's the picture of being put together. When you look at Jeanette, she's a quote woman who looks like she's got stories. And she talks about the fact that it's not that her mom hasn't lost anything. It's not that she hasn't struggled. It's that she doesn't talk about it, that it's not a thing that she lets out into the open or that she wants to be any part of Jeanette's life. And I think back also to that first page of this of this section when she's like, if I hadn't have had such a hard shelf I would have let you in could I have saved us like could I have done better um and so I think it's very interesting that when she says does loss unspoken become an inherited trait like is that passed down as well the the that the strength comes from pretending like everything is okay until it you know gets to somebody who cannot or does not 
what else did you, so I think it's easiest to break this up at the current moment for the way that I'm thinking about it into three stories. So we have the story of Jeanette, which includes her mom, Carmen and her and Anna as well. Um, and then we have Maria's story, which is in the Cuban cigar factory. And then we have Gloria's. So talking about Jeanette's first, what did you think of her kind of continuing and definitely secret relationship with, with Mario and her struggle with addiction in this section? I was listening to a podcast about someone who was talking about Al-Anon, um, which is like loved ones of alcoholics or people that struggle with drug and alcohol issues, um, substance abuse issues. And this reminds me a lot of Jeanette and Mario, where clearly they have a somewhat codependent relationship. They both seem to have like issues with drugs and alcohol separately but then they also seem to have this like codependence on each other that's very unhealthy um but it definitely reminds me of like that sort of a like, deep like attachment that you form with someone where even though you know it's not right it's not going to work it's not healthy it's still like there's still that attachment between the two of them and even when he picks up the phone he's like we can't keep doing this right she knows that too you know she knows she can't keep doing this and yet it's like hard to let go because also then she's just alone and she's struggling with addiction just by herself like she's struggling with substance by herself and that's lonely too when you're lonely I feel like you see the past in rose-colored glasses and she's like was it that bad would we be fine if we were sober we'd be fine if we had a kid which like pro probably Ugh. not yeah probably and not. then also the undercurrent of like clearly they had a physical altercation which seems to have ended the relationship or played a part in it um, like he had been abusing her and she still has that love for him, which again is like so heartbreaking, but also so realistic. Like she's in love with him and they both made mistakes. And now she's like, it's kind of one of those things where like when you can't have it or when you know it's wrong, that makes you want it more because you're, you're no longer objective, right? He's just a voice on the other end of the phone. Who's a memory of what could have been, what should have been. And that can be even more compelling. 100%. She's doing a good job keeping those boundaries too, like not telling him where she's at. And I mean, I don't know. I think this is like a one of those gray areas. Like I think obviously it's not healthy in the long term, but like is it as harmful in this current moment if she has someone to reach out to when she keeps boundaries? I don't know. Like who's to say? Obviously if we're like logistically is this correct? No, but like humans are messy and sometimes there's a gray area. But speaking of wanting something you can't have, um, let's talk about the Antonio and Maria love story. He is the lectern, is that what we're calling them? Who like reads to the cigar rollers as they work, which I love. And then he's just like, I hate people say pursuing, but like, <laughs> so courting her. Courting her. Okay. Um, courting Maria with like, you know, the love of writing and literature and powerful political movements. And we just love that. And then she ends up eventually like, I don't know if she, I don't think she falls in love with him, but um, falls into contentment with him. Yeah. I like that part of the story where she is making a very rational choice. You know, her mom has passed, which was so sad to read about. She clearly realizes like things are very dangerous and that's not a good situation to be by myself at this point. And 
this is a man who appreciates me as an intellectual, as like an autonomous person. And this is a really good match for me. Um, so I loved their relationship. I thought it was realistic and also very sweet in its own way. It was sweet. And I feel like, yes, they both, I mean, I think her description wasn't one of like falling in love with someone, but was like, I know this is what he's doing for me and this is what I'm doing for him. But those things weren't like money and power. They were like empowerment and he cares for her and he like, you know, I think it was very sweet, a very sweet way to put that partnership. But I think she, wow, I can't talk. Mm-mm. I think there is this level of love that grows when she has the baby and she she knows. She's like, he's not alive. Like finding him is going to be a moot point. And that part was so sad. And in the end, he just like yells. Um, so maybe she'll know that like he fought till the end. I'm like, oh, Antonio. So tragic. So sweet. I What I think this section also did really well is show us that clearly part of this book is to teach us about the history of Cuba. And I, I love that. I'm here for that. But it was never it never felt like it wasn't serving the story, which is also what I it's such a balancing act to be like, and then this happened and then this significant event happened. But instead, Gabriella was able to weave that into the story of their relationship and having this baby um it's also telling us this really important history history that I'm assuming is going to keep going throughout the book yeah as you're saying that I'm also thinking about reading the invisible life of Addie LaRue and that's something that they did not do while writing that which is just like listing historical events that happen and you're like okay I get it I like when the story yeah it weaves in those historical components and you get to like really fall into it and understand how not only what happened but how it felt you get to have empathy and understanding of like what and how it affected everybody who was living there living through that time I remember when the pandemic started and it was just like a very eye-opening experience for me of like oh this is how people live in like political instability is like you just do there's yeah. no other that you have no when things are so far above like your control it it seems crazy that like two weeks after half of her coworkers are murdered or killed she just goes back to work but what else you know what did we do what during else is COVID? She supposed we to just do? went back right. to work exactly mm-hmm. and it's so fascinating to me to read about this time of political turmoil I can't wait to hear more I was already I will just say this now and I promise I won't say it again but I was already like really trying to go visit Cuba um prior to reading this book and now I'm just so sold I'm like book my plane tickets I have to go see this island I do this book makes me a want to go to Cuba and b want to do like a lot more reading about the history of Cuba because I honestly don't know a lot about it. Like I don't know a lot about this movement or what happened. Um, so I'm excited whenever that happens and I'm reading a book where I feel like they'll touch on it and they'll go through some parts of it. Like I'm probably going to have to read a lot of the history of it, which is good. I'm excited to learn about it. Similarly, this reminds me about Gloria's chapter with the detention center. And obviously we've heard a lot about ICE. We've heard a lot about what these family detention centers look like. I think I know the news story about what she signed away. Um, you know, when they were kind of like coercing her to read this or to sign this document that she couldn't read. But it's still interesting to hear like the descriptions of like what it looks like and how how they're treated, the food that they're eating. 
I imagine that Gabriella did a lot of research to get this really clear picture for us of what these places actually looked like and look like because it's still happening. <laughs> right. Um, I think she has a really good job of, yes, setting the scene. Again, her writing is so visual. Like you can really picture it. Like I'm just picturing when she's describing that food and she's like, describing the piece of bologna with like its full own sentence and like but it's important because everything about it creates this picture in your mind where you can clearly picture how awful it would be but um you know the good and the bad I liked that it wasn't just again like a list of all the awful things that are happening in there it also showed like the strength of these women and the support they offer each other and the connections that they're forming and like how resilient these kids are um so it was like this really full picture of what these detention centers look like instead of just like a listing of of what goes on or how awful it can be and is. I love too that each chapter sort of has its own refrain almost. So with with Maria, we Maria Isabel, we have the line, we are the force, which I think is just so powerful and beautiful of a sentence that keeps coming back. And then with Gloria, we have this imagery of the bird which we already mentioned, which is so beautiful. But I love that we're getting these. It's like each character has traits about themselves that are unique, but they also have like a literary signature. And I wonder if that will keep coming up throughout. Truly, how did she do that across three separate <laughs> timelines and stories? Like and we're getting more. If if the family tree is any indication, we've got more like more women's pictures coming up. Oh, I'm excited to find out who else is going to be in this story. Um, I'm also really nervous, though, that Anna's coming to the detention center, which is exactly why I just wanted her to stay with Jeanette and not go to the detention center like that. I just feel like it's going to get a lot worse there. Do you think she's going to make it to the detention center? Well, that didn't cross my mind till right now. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. I do, because I think that part of this. I mean, I'm this is a prediction, you know, which we are in the business of here. Um yeah, I think she's going to get there because I think that Gabriella is trying to paint a picture that goes from the political uprisings of Cuba all the way through like modern day what's happening in the detention centers and what's happening with immigration here. And so I think that more of the story will take place in the detention centers. So in my mind, we'll see it through Anna and Gloria, but I guess she could never make it. And then that could also speak to what's happening with immigration. So I don't know. Yeah, my guess is, so there's two things, like, my guess is that there's a little bit of foreshadowing that Anna's not going to make it, because Gloria's already expecting her to be there, and also, they have that conversation, she has a conversation with another mother about, like, do you think they're going to remember this, and she's basically lying and saying, no, no, I don't think they'll remember this, they're too young, um, but I think that's foreshadowing that Anna's clearly going on her own journey, and that's going to stick with her. And her mom's already realizing that. I mean, she's got to get on a plane. She's going to be with a strange person, probably a man. Like, there's just so much instability for Anna that I'm I'm terrified of, like, what we're, what is going to happen for her. Okay, so next week we're reading chapters four through the end of chapter eight. And I can't wait to see what happens.
Hi, talk, talk. <laughs> talk, talk. <laughs> so, Katie, share your exciting news. I just like looked at myself in that camera. I was like, wow, I look so tired. Um, I officially got my PMP certification today, which is so exciting because it's been like months in the making in a pandemic. Um, and I'm just so relieved to actually be done with it. It's like a really long test. PMP is project management practitioner, professional, professional. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. It's like the top level of that or whatever. Basically it's like, this is the certification that says that I can do the job that I'm already doing, but you know. It's good. It's fine. That's awesome. Yay. I'm so happy I'm that you passed. Four yeah. hours, people. Four hour exam. That's insane. A four hour exam. It was insane. I almost got, um, you know, disqualified for glancing out of a window because you have to do tests now at your home. So just <laughs> crazy. Crazy. And then someone calls you and is like, I'm watching your eyes. Don't look out the window. <laughs> Truly so creepy. But, you know. Also, you know, when I'm going through per usual, which I would like to say that for this entire book talk, it's been in a pandemic. I was about to be like, when I'm going through a stressful time, I like to read a rom-com book, which we all know about me already. But like the last year has been a stressful time. Right. Anyways, I just read a really cute book that I'm going to give to you called okay, People yay. Who We Meet on Vacation. Yeah, we talked it's about this cute. in some talk talk that you got it. You showed me the cover. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was adorable. And I mean, it is like when I read the prologue, I was like, okay, well, we know how this ends. But then three quarters of the way through, I was like, but how is it going to work? How is this going to end? And I was like, I'm either going to be really mad at the end of the story where they're just going to be like, oh, the girl gives up all of her dreams and, you know, it all works out or whatever. Um, or something stupid was going to happen and it was going to all work out perfectly. And I just want to say that the ending was good and I really liked it. And Yay. you should read it. Okay, I'll read it. Um, I have two things that I wanted to share that I'm very excited about. Well, one thing I'm excited about and one thing I wanted to share. First thing I'm excited about is my dance instructor DM'd me today and said, hey, I'm getting, I'm renting a space so we can have dance classes in May. So it's just like two classes in May, but I was like, yes, I'm there. And Dan asked like, oh, how much is it going to cost? And I was like, literally, I don't care. I take Take all of my all of my money. Literally. The last thing I wanted to say is I we're just finishing up the detransition baby episode where I talk about how important self-love is. And I just want to say if I came across like I know how to love myself, girl, I don't. It is an everyday process. (laughs) (laughs) I am accepting tips because every day I'm like, okay, we need to like pick something about myself and be like, we love our nails. Our nails look great. We You're love doing our great. Nails. You're trying so hard. <laughs> like we have to love ourselves. Let's do the work. And you know, I'm still figuring it out. So I don't want to come across like I know how to love yourself, but I do think it's the key to everything. I do think it's yeah. I mean, it is the key to everything. Then you can love other people. Also, I'm watching the second season of The Circle. Oh, same. <laughs> and I'm realizing that like I am Bryant. I don't love that for you. I know. <laughs> He's like, I am love He's and you so are annoying. me and I am you and I am authentic and it's so important and I see beyond your masks. And I was like, Brian, I feel you, bro. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.
Here we go. Ba ba da ba. Literally, who needs Dan when we make our own music? <laughs> Just kidding, Dan. We love you.